Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2015 Men's Advance. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. You know, what I've been sharing on is about how pride is such an inroad of Satan into your life. And I promise you that if you would receive the things that were said through Greg, through Happy, I thought Happy this morning was just perfect about love and, and guys, this is what we need. And this is what Jesus is all about. And love is the antithesis of pride. Love is other people centered. Pride is all about you thinking about yourself. And I tell you what, it, you get to where you love other people more than you love yourself. And it just diffuses anger. It is impossible for you to be angry without being selfish, without thinking about yourself. You know, my brother, had an opposite personality than me. He was four and a half years older than me. And I mean, he would just beat the tar out of me. I mean, just whoop up on me till I was bloody. One time I was bleeding. My grandmother was taking a towel and sopping up all of the blood and stuff. And my brother, he would lose his temper, but then he'd come back. And after he settled down, he says, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was hurting you. He says, I'd never realized what I was doing to you. And you know what that is? That's a confirmation about what we were saying, Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride comes contention. He just saw something I did that he didn't like. It hurt him and he would respond and do whatever he thought would make him feel good. And when he settled down and saw what he had done to other people, he had always apologized. I'm telling you that what, the thing that makes you angry is just because you're so self-centered, you're thinking about yourself, you don't think about what you do to your wife, your children, other people, or stuff like that. And after you settle down and the emotion is over and you think about the other people, then it's when you feel sorry. The antidote to all of that is just, <coughs> excuse me, walking in uh, humility. And when you get to where you are thinking about other people more than you're thinking about yourself, it just diffuses all of your anger and all of your hurt. You know, sometimes I was the opposite. I didn't then, I never got mad. Like my kids told me not long ago that they had never seen me mad, that they never thought I got mad. And I said, well, I certainly had the feelings. I just never indulged them. But uh, that was amazing to me that my kids had never seen me angry at anybody. But you know what? It's, I had... Anger, I just vented it differently. Mine is I'd sulk and I'd pout and I'd just withdraw and get into myself. That's still anger. It's just like I was saying about pride. Pride is not only arrogance. Pride is also just thinking that you're the scum of the earth and that you're so low. That's self-centered. You're thinking about yourself and people that pout and people that withdraw and stuff like this. It's still anger. It's just a different manifestation of it. You can manifest these things in a lot of different ways. Let me turn over to Romans chapter three. And I want to share with you the passage of scripture that God used to touch Martin Luther. Martin Luther, by his own admission, says this is what transformed him. This is what caused the Protestant Reformation. You and I today are born again because of this verse and the way it impacted Martin Luther. And it has to deal exactly with what we're talking about. For those of you who don't know, Martin Luther was a monk or a priest. I don't know what the right designation is in the Catholic church. And this is back, you know, in the 1500s when they were still doing indulgences 
they were praying people out of purgatory and there was just so much stuff going on. And uh, he was trying to do all of these things and yet he never had an assurance that he really had a relationship with God. He was trying with everything he had but didn't have the confidence that God had really accepted him. And he was actually at the Vatican crawling up a, a set of stone steps, repeating the rosary and doing all of these religious things, trying to make himself acceptable unto God. And as he was doing this, he'd been searching for a long time and reading scripture. God brought this passage of scripture back to his remembrance in Romans chapter three. And there was a lot of scriptures, but the one that specifically touched him is verse 27. It says, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And as he was crawling up these steps on his knees and repeating this, God just gave him a revelation of this and showed him that you are justified by faith without the deeds of the law. That's without your performance. It's not what you do and then God looks at you and if you've lived holy enough, God accepts you and grants you right standing with him. But it's all based on what Jesus did for you, not your works. And this says that boasting is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. In other words, any person who brags about themselves, who talks about, look who I am and look what I've done, it's because you are living under this law of works. You are thinking that when you do good enough that God loves you proportional to your performance and will reward your actions. And that is not true. Any person who's proud and boasting and comparing themselves with somebody else and feeling that I'm better than this person, the old Pharisee syndrome where God, I thank you that I'm not like this publican. I fast twice in the week. I pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin. Any person who does that is a person who is living under the works of the law. And this is all about you. It's all about yourself. You are self-centered. People like that love to compare themselves with others who are worse than them so that they can look good. They intentionally don't compare themselves with people who are better. And any person who's under the law is a self-centered uh, person focused on themselves and it's pride and it's everything that we've been talking about. But grace takes humility. It takes humility for you to receive grace. And this is why religious people who have been trying to live a holy life and have been trying, you know, they've denied themselves and they've done all of these things and they've lived a relatively holy life. As a whole, religious people reject grace because it takes away their bragging rights. They can't boast anymore about look how holy I am and look what I've done. Jesus gets all of the glory. And so religious people think, I've even had people come and say, so you're saying that all of my holiness and all of the things that I've done don't make me any better than this person over here? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> I said, that's what I'm saying. And religious people don't like that. They get upset and it all goes back to pride and arrogance. You're looking at yourself and you're thinking, I've done so good. God owes this to me. I deserve these kind of things. And people don't like that. But it takes grace to receive uh, it takes humility to receive grace. Look at this passage over in 1 Peter 
chapter five, I think it was um, Greg that mentioned this the other day. First Peter chapter five, Peter was writing to the elders of the church and telling them how to rule the church and how to minister to people. And he says in verse four, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Man, there is a lot in this. Let me just mention this quickly. But you know what? One of the reasons that youth rebels and stuff is because of pride. Looking at themselves, thinking you're outdated. I know more than you do. And, it, and you can call it whatever you want to. And we put a lot of different names on it, but it really just comes back to pride and self-centeredness. And you think that you know more than all of these other people. You know, if, uh, if I was traveling, say to Texas, we're gonna be leaving for Texas on Monday. And if some of you drove this exact same route, you go down I-25, you go across over to Clayton, then you go down, uh, to, what is it, 287? And you go in, to Texas and stuff. And if I was worried about the weather or something, did you know what? I wouldn't have to like you. I wouldn't have to have a good relationship with you. But if you have driven the road in front of me and you're in front of me, there is benefit to me calling you and saying, what's the weather like? What are the road conditions? I don't have to agree with you. I don't have to like you to receive benefit. But if you've been someplace that I'm going, there is something I can learn from you. But you know what? There's some people, well, I wouldn't call this person because I don't like them. What does that have to do with anything? You know, there's some people, well, I don't, you know, you, you old folks are old, outdated or whatever. And so you can, you can uh, phrase it any way you want to. But what it comes down to is just pride. You think you know more than everybody else. I guarantee you, people who've lived for a while, that doesn't mean that they've done everything right, but you can learn something from them. If nothing else, you can learn what not to do. And this is saying that you younger are supposed to submit yourselves to the elder. And if you don't like doing that, it, you, can, you can phrase it any way you want to, but it's just pride on your part. That doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything that they've done. That doesn't mean that you have to obey ungodly commands. But you know what? We ought to honor people. This is one of the reasons that I love having people like Happy Caldwell and stuff come. This guy has been in the ministry. He's paid his dues. He's been around the block a few times. You know, this is why I invited Wendell to come be a part of our school is because he's just, you know, back when he was in school, they didn't teach history. They didn't have any yet. I mean, it was, that was before recorded history. I mean, Wendell, he, he could tell us what it was like when they crossed the Red Sea, amen. <laughs> but you know what? A person has been around as long as Wendell has. You know, you got something to learn from him. If they're still vertical, if they're still loving God, if they're still serving the Lord, you ought to learn something from people that have been around the block and have survived. I can guarantee you people in ministry, and it's not limited to ministry, but just people who are getting older and they still are married to the same woman. They still love God. They haven't become cynical. They haven't become bitter. You need to learn something from them. See, this all goes back to pride and stuff, but people, well, I, nobody can tell me anything. I've got it all figured out. Well, come back and visit me in 20 years and see how that's working for you. I guarantee you, you need to be 
The younger need to be submitting themselves unto the elder. And then it says, yea, all of you be subject one to another. The older folks don't need to despise the youth. You know, good thing about youth is that they just don't know enough to be afraid yet and stuff. And so they're radical. They'll go out and take chances and do things. And you know what? People that are older need to be receiving that enthusiasm and that can-do attitude of youth. We need to be submitting to each other and receiving I can go listen to a person and if I hate everything they say, it inspires me and motivates me to preach it the right way. You can learn from people. But you know, there's some people just so proud that they can't learn from anybody. That's, that's stupid. It says, yea, all of you be subject to one to another and be clothed with humility. Look at this, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. That's a quotation from Proverbs chapter three, verse 34. And it's used uh, about four times, I believe in the New Testament, it has been reinforced. But look at this statement, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Man, do you want God to resist you? Do you want God fighting against you? You know, let me say that in the new covenant, God has placed all of our sin upon Jesus and he's not resisting you in the sense that he hates you or that he's mad at you. God has placed all of his wrath upon Jesus. He's not mad at you. He's not in a bad mood. But God's entire kingdom is set up to function off of humility. And when you get into pride and arrogance, whether it's, you know, thinking you're better than everybody else or so condemned that you just think that you're the scum of the earth and you aren't seeing yourself in Christ, but you are just looking at your natural self and you're always dealing with things from the flesh. God is fighting against you, not personally, but he's fighting against those attitudes. He doesn't promote it. You know, in our ministry, we've got 330 something employees and stuff. And I try and go around and say hi to everyone. I still don't know everybody's name, but I haven't got anything against them. I like all of our employees. I'm not against a single one of them. But you know what? There are some employees that have bad attitudes. I was walking through the uh, production thing about two weeks ago and there was a woman there that, I mean, I just looked at her and told she had a bad day. She was telecasting it, broadcasting it to anybody who was interested. And I just walked up to her and I said, so how are things going today? Boy, I mean, she got mad and on and on. And you know what? I'm not against her. I love her. She's a student and I'm not against her. But you know what? When it comes time to promote, I'm not going to promote a person who has days like that and that does stuff like that. You don't promote that. Instead, I'll treat her good. I'm not against her, but I am not going to promote that kind of an attitude. And this is the way that the Lord is. It's not that he's against you, but when it comes time for you to be promoted, God is not going to promote you. If you're going around selfish and you're promoting yourself and you are operating in pride because God's entire kingdom operates off of humility. There are some of you that are probably praying about your business, about your job, and you would like to see increase. And one of the reasons God isn't promoting you is because of your sorry attitude. He doesn't dislike you, but he's not going to promote this and just uh, give you a greater platform so that you can infect more people with your bad attitude so that you can cause more problems so that you can hurt more people. I'm saying this in love. I know some of you, well, 
Well, you're saying something's wrong with me. I'm saying, yeah, there's something wrong with nearly all of us, amen. And we need to learn and we need to humble ourselves. And when God finds somebody, it says over in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse uh, or 16, 9, I think it is. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show himself strong in behalf of those who are perfect in his sight. And perfect isn't talking about that you're sinless. None of us are that way. It's talking about perfect in his sight. People who walk humbly with their God. People who just, you know, humble themselves. All of us make mistakes, but God is looking for people with the right heart. You know, there's many scriptures, but it says Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, a verse that we base this Bible college on. The things which you've heard of me among many Witnesses, the same commit that of faithful men who shall be able to teach others. It says we're supposed to teach them to faithful men. Most people look for qualified men. They want people that have all of the knowledge, all of the degrees and all of this. But the Lord put a special emphasis on pick faithful people, an attitude of the heart. That's what God considers people that are perfect in his sight. It doesn't mean you're sinless, that you never make a mistake. All of us make mistakes. But man, when you make a mistake, do you humble yourself? Do you keep seeking the Lord? David was a man after God's own heart, and yet he committed adultery and murdered, trying to cover up his adultery. And yet God still called him a man after his own heart and talked about how David served him. David sinned and made huge mistakes, but when confronted with it, he didn't blame somebody else. He didn't say, well, they made me do it. He accepted complete responsibility. Psalms chapter 51, he says against you and you only, O Lord, have I sinned and done this great wickedness in your sight. He humbled himself. That's what God considers a good heart is a person who admits their mistakes, will humble himself, will continue to seek him. And it says that the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for people like that. Did you know God is here at this conference this week? God has been looking, looking at people's hearts. And will you humble yourself and will you admit, God, this has been a problem in my life. It's not these other people. It's not this. It's not the color of my skin. It's not all of these things that we blame everything else on. God, my attitude stinks. And the reason I haven't been promoted is because you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. So I want to humble myself. He's looking for somebody that will humble themselves and receive this word with meekness, which is able to save your soul. And if he could find one person in here who would totally humble himself, I guarantee you he'd pass over everybody in Colorado and the United States to find you and start moving and promoting you and exalting you. If he could trust you with it, but he won't share his glory with another. He's not going to do things in a way that you take all of the credit for it. He's looking for people that will walk humbly with God, people who will yield themselves. He resists the proud. And many of you are thinking it's the devil who's hindered me. It could be God that's hindered you. And this is not because he's again mad at you or reject. It's because he loves you. The Bible says Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, that uh, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. One of the reasons God doesn't promote you and exalt you is because if you still are dealing with this pride issue and taking credit for things, then you know Satan, 
This is his inroad into your life. It's how he gains access to you. And it's because God loves you so much that he hasn't exalted you yet because you couldn't handle it. It would be the destruction of you. You would fall. You know, in my own personal life, I got born again when I was eight years old. That was in 1957. And when I was 18 in 1968, is when I had this experience with the Lord and I was called to the ministry and I've been in full-time ministry after I got back out of Vietnam, it would have been 1971. I've been in full-time ministry ever since then. And you know, I just struggled and struggled and I saw other people that just their ministries would grow and stuff. And, and anyway, there was a lot of frustration, a lot of hardship, a lot of times that I wanted to quit and things like this. And the Lord spoke to me on July the 26th of 1999 and told me my ministry was just starting. When I started on television, January the 3rd, 2000, he says, you're just gonna start your ministry. Everything up until then has been preparation. That was 32 years. And that was discouraging and encouraging all at the same time. We had seen people raised from the dead. I'd seen miracles happen. I'd seen good things happen. And yet, if I was just getting started, that meant that, you know, everything was just preparation. And I, I spent some time saying, God, why? What's going on? And, you know, the Lord told me that it was because he loves me so much that rather than just wanting to use me and get what he could out of me, and yet it drains me and winds up, Satan being able to destroy me through it. The reason God hadn't opened up the doors and that the ministry hadn't grown and stuff was because he loved me so much, I wouldn't have been able to handle it. I'd have been swelled up in pride. I'd have taken credit for it. And it took him 32 years to get me to a place where he could use me and begin my ministry. And there are some of you sitting right there that you know what God wants you to do. You've got vision and you've been praying and things aren't working out and you're wondering, God, what's going on? God is resisting your pride, not out of rejection, punishment, but he just doesn't promote it. He loves you so much. He doesn't want to open up the doors and cause your business to succeed, cause your careers to succeed because it would be the destruction of you. It would ruin you. And it's love that he hasn't opened the doors. You know, I had a man one time in a minister's conference in Greeley, Colorado, and I was, I forget exactly what I was ministering on, but I asked people to come forward who wanted prayer for their ministry. And there was about 20 or so people lined up. And this guy was the first one in line over here. So I walked down to this end and I skipped him and I started ministering to the second one. And I went down the line and ministered to every single one, prophesied over them. When I got down to the end of the line, this guy was there back there again. He had gone around and he was standing there. And so when I got to him, I just stopped and I started to walk away and he yelled at me and he says, what's wrong? Why won't you pray for me? And I said, you don't want me to pray for you. And he says, no, I do want, I want whatever God's got to say. So I ministered to him and I said, you know what? God is the one who has been shutting doors. God is the one that has kept your ministry from working because you aren't ready and you are trying to force things. You're trying to kick the door open. You're trying to make things happen. And I said, if God was to open up the ministry to you right now, it would destroy you. You aren't ready. And God didn't like it at all. 
So after it was over, he sat down and talked to him. He was a homosexual. He had been delivered of homosexuality and he wanted a ministry to homosexuals and he was out there and he was trying to force it. And anyway, the guy went ahead and over the next few years, he got into full-time ministry and started trying to minister to homosexuals. And the last time I saw him, uh, my wife and I went out to Cripple Creek, which is a gambling place out here. And we went out to take advantage of their free uh, buffet. <laughs> we didn't gamble. We just went in and took the buffet. And, uh, and anyway, he was there and he was out gambling and he had totally walked away from God. He wasn't serving God. He says, all of this stuff is fake. None of it were. And it destroyed him. And you know what the reason, it was God that was keeping him. God was resisting his promotion and all of these things because of his own pride and he wasn't ready. You cannot microwave your ministry. It takes time. With me, it took 32 years. I don't think it has to take 32 years. I think it can happen quicker than that, but there still is a preparation time. And I tell you, one of the things you can do to decrease the amount of time is to go and listen to other people, which is what Bible college is about and learn through their expense. You know, our very first missions group, we took over to um, Wales and we went to Arthur Burt's home. He was a man, he just died this last year at I think 101 or 103 years old. And he used to travel with Smith Wigglesworth and our missions group stayed in his home and we just sat down and visited with him. And one of our young kids. I mean, he was only like 17 or 18 years old. We were asking Arthur all of these questions about what it was like to minister back then. And one of these kids asked him a profound question. I was really impressed. And he says, what does a young minister have to do to become an old minister? And boy, I mean, Arthur, without a second hesitation, he says, listen to an old minister. And I thought, man, that was just wisdom. That was great. And this is one of the ways that you can shorten that period of time is to learn at other people's expense. You do not have to learn everything by hard knocks. You can go and listen to other people. And that's a lot of what goes on here in our Bible college with these ancient people like Wendell and others that we have around <laughs> to, to give instruction to you. And uh, man, it's just awesome. But God resists the proud. Look over here in Matthew chapter 20. Praise God, Wendell's not getting up. He's not going to get an opportunity to defend himself. <laughs> in Matthew chapter 20, let's see, is this the right passage of scripture? Yes, it is. I just got to find the starting spot. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, it says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Grant that these, my two sons, may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, You know not what ye ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, we are able. Then he said unto them, you shall drink indeed of the cup that 
I am, uh, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two. Why did they get mad? Again, Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride comes contention. You know why they got upset? Is because Peter, uh, James and John were wanting to take a high position of authority above them. And they were looking at it, man, what makes them any better than me? Self, self-centeredness. It's the only thing that makes you ang angry. It's the only thing that makes you envious of other people is when you compare yourself and feel like you're being slighted. If you were dead to yourself, you wouldn't care. You would rejoice that other people are prospering. You know, we were just at uh, Phoenix and one of my employees came up to uh, uh, Derry and Karen Jolly. These are people that we have traveled with us from um, Charlotte, North Carolina, and they do ambassadors to the nations that ministers, uh, you know, specifically in Spanish speaking countries. And I support children through them and I help them and I have them come and share and people support them. And anyway, they had just had their school in Managua, Nicaragua, uh, the government came to them and said that it had grown so much. We've helped them build buildings and they had all of these buildings, but it was right in the city and they didn't have room for a play area and for some of the other things. So the government came and said, we're gonna shut you down because you have outgrown this facility. But the good news was they were giving them a piece of land and said, you can have this piece of land, but they were gonna have to rebuild the entire school. And so they were gonna be out a lot of money. And uh, Karen said that she remembered my teaching on don't limit God. And she said, instead of getting upset, she says, we can do it. They're giving us this land, we're gonna build. And she started praising God and believing God. And one of my employees came up to her in Phoenix and said, do you have a project that you are needing help on? And she says, as a matter of fact, we do. And they said, we're going to, would $500,000 help? <laughs> and Karen says, I think it would, amen. <laughs> you know, for 500,000, they'll be able to build multiple schools. But anyway, my point is, you know, I could have sat there and thought 500,000, uh, why didn't they give it to me? That's what was going on right here. But you know what? I was just so blessed thinking, man, this is awesome. God doesn't have a shortage of money. Man, I don't begrudge anybody else who's being blessed. God's got more than enough to go around. But see, it's a selfish attitude that would sit there and think, well, man, I'm going to quit promoting you because people are responding to you. We got a lot of ministers here. And did you know that most ministers are hesitant to promote other ministers and ministries because again, they're thinking if I do, if I promote them, my people might like this person better than they like me. All of this stuff goes back to self-centeredness, to pride, thinking about yourself and wanting to promote yourself. That's what these disciples were doing. They were indignant. They were mad because James and John were wanting the, the right hand and the left hand when Jesus came into his kingdom. And look at how Jesus responded. In verse 25, it says, And Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. 
And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Did you know in the kingdom of God, this is completely contrary to this secular world. It's completely contrary to what you and I were raised in. I was raised in a Christian home and yet it was, you know, I don't mean this in a bad way, but they didn't have the revelation of what we've got. It was a carnal Christian home and there was still problems and stuff. Most of us, I mean, there would probably be very, very, very few people in here that weren't raised and taught that it's all about you. And it's just about taking care of yourself. The whole world is going in this direction. This is what fallen human beings do. They are just self-centered. It's all about putting yourself first. But in the kingdom of God, we need to change and we need to recognize it's about putting other people first. Happy talked about that, you know, when he was quoting Kenneth Hagin, how he would give the best egg uh, to his wife and take the one that the yoke broke or something. You do all of these other things. You put other people first. You treat other people better than you treat yourself. In Philippians chapter two, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. And it uses Jesus. And look how Jesus said that he, he didn't come to be ministered unto, but to lay his life down and to minister for others. I'm telling you, brothers, it is a huge paradigm shift. One of my students said, that's not a paradigm shift. That's a paraquarter shift. It was huge, amen. <laughs> And I mean, it is a total change of direction to put your wife, your children ahead of yourself, to put other people, help them succeed in their business rather than you stab them in the back and discredit them so that you'll look good in comparison. But instead you go around and you build other people up. I'm telling you, this is the way that God has caused us to live. And if you would receive these messages that have been given this weekend, and if you would humble yourself and put God first and other people ahead of yourself. It says in Philippians chapter two that you're supposed to think of other people higher than you think of yourself. And that's not saying that you put yourself down. There is a right way to look at yourself and God loved you and he died for you. So the price that was paid for you shows that you are of worth and yet you are supposed to honor other people more than you honor yourself. I don't know how we've done it in the body of Christ, but there's so many ministers that, you know, the clergy's up here and the laity's down here. There's people that won't fellowship with the common people because they might get their anointed tainted. I hate that attitude. I really dislike that attitude. If you are a godly minister, man, you ought to humble yourself. You ought to be serving other people. You ought to be more concerned about them than you are about yourself. And I tell you, we've just got some rotten attitudes that if you just keep peeling back the layers and tracing it back, it just goes back to pride that we love ourselves. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We put ourselves ahead of other people. We don't consider their needs. And I tell you, that makes for a poor represent, representative of God. And God actually resists that. God resists that kind of an attitude. He's not going to promote you. He's not going to expand your business and your ministry and your influence as long as you're just going to be representing the wrong way. He, he's concerned about the other people. He doesn't want you to misrepresent him, but he's also concerned about you. you would get be, you'd be swelled up with pride if God gave you the things that you're asking for, and that would be a direct inroad of Satan into your life, and it would destroy you. 
I'm telling you, it's just, there is nothing good about self-promotion, self-centeredness. It's all bad. All of the results of it are bad. And we need to learn to just humble ourselves and let God be the one to promote you. When God promotes you, then you don't have to keep promoting yourself. If you're the one who builds your life, your ministry, your career, you do all of this stuff and it's all on your back. It's like juggling. You're going to, you can't quit. You can never take a break. The whole thing will come crashing down. When God is the one that promotes you, it's secure. I tell you, it's awesome. And I believe that God has been speaking to us this week and trying to get us to humble ourselves, to give him the glory. And if you would receive this, as I was saying, the eyes of the Lord are here. He's looking for, is there anybody who will receive this message? Is there anybody who will receive these truths? And if you will do it, boy, God will move big time in your life. As I said the very first night, it's a process. It's not just a one-time decision. Many of you have made decisions this week that are good decisions, but you're going to have to live it when you go back home. You know, one of the things that I thought of is that you need to know that on our website, we'll have all of these services archived, the praise and worship and everything. And you can go back and you can review these services. I really believe that God has been here speaking to people and touching people's lives. And that's a great way to go back and just uh, refresh these things. But you need to live this when you get home. And it's a process, but over a period of time, as you begin to yield yourself to the Lord, God is looking for people with that attitude. And when he finds somebody that he can trust and that he knows you aren't going to take the credit, that you aren't going to be swelled up and get the big head and give Satan an inroad into your life, God will move in your ministry. He wants you to prosper more than you want to prosper. God never made anybody to be a dud. God has good plans for every single person in here. If you can't look at your life, at your business, at your family, at everything and just say, I'm overwhelmed. This is God. God has blessed me. It's supernatural. I can't take credit. If you could take credit for everything that's happened in your life and you can say, it's my blood, it's my sweat that did this, then I can guarantee you, you have not fulfilled God's will for your life. God is going to call you to do something that's bigger than yourself. Something that is so big that you can't take credit for it. And so if your life isn't just overwhelmed with the goodness of God and saying, God, there's, I just, there's no answer for this other than you. Well, then you hadn't found God's will. You're still walking in your own self-effort. You're still doing things on your own. And that's the reason that you haven't seen greater promotion is because God loves you and he can't trust you with it. It would destroy you. Amen. Amen. So the key is really just seeking God, loving God. Man, this is a perfect place. I'm not going to take time to do it, but I've got a great teaching on how to find, follow, and fulfill God's will. And the verses that God used to change my life is Romans 12, 1 and 2. And the first step is you make yourself a living sacrifice. That's talking about dying to yourself, crawling up on the altar, making yourself a sacrifice to God. The second step is in verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you do those two things, it says you will prove. The word prove means to make manifest to the physical senses the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. 
If you make yourself a living sacrifice and renew your mind through the word of God, you will prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. It's impossible not to do it. It's absolutely physically impossible. But man, it is easy to miss God's perfect plan for your life if you are going to try and do it on your own, if you're going to do things on your own, if you are going to just get there and through because, you know, you're a self-made man and you're going to get in there and do it. I guarantee you, you're going to crash and burn. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. But it's impossible to humble yourself and not have God exalt you and promote you. And when you get usable, God will use you. If you aren't being used, it's because you aren't usable. God doesn't want to promote that attitude. He doesn't want it to infect other people and he doesn't want Satan to gain access to you and hurt you. So I'm telling you, brothers, what we need to do is just humble ourselves and make a decision that God, I'm not going anywhere without you. I'm putting you first in my life. And if you will do that and follow through over a long period of time, I can guarantee you that God will move in your life in a supernatural way. It'll be awesome. It's really that simple. God's looking for people. And what we need to do is say, God, don't look any further. Stop right here. I want to be that person. I want to be the one that has a perfect attitude. I want to humble myself. And you do that, I guarantee you, God will use you. I'm a living proof of it. I was an introvert, couldn't look at a person in the face. And now God has me speaking to millions of people every day. It's not me. I, I couldn't do this. When we started this project four years ago, we had zero money. And we have paid $32 million out in the last three and a half years, did this debt free. We're working on the next, I can't do that. I can't take credit for it. It's not my smart, it's just God. It's just God. The only thing that I can take credit for is that I have sought God and held on to God. I'm like on a roller coaster. I just buckled myself in and I am on the ride of my life, but I can't take credit for any of the good stuff that's happened. Amen. And I'm telling you, brothers, there's not a person in here that has gone so far that God couldn't redeem your situation and turn it around and make your life just one awesome life. But I tell you, we've given you some major keys this week. And if you would receive it, it's going to change your life. You know, the last thing I want to do, I was talking to some people here today. One guy came up and he says, God has just really spoken to him. And uh, he, he believes he's supposed to be at Karis Bible College. We're going to have this meeting here in just a few minutes. And, and uh, he, but he was saying, I don't know how it's going to happen. He says, I am stone broke. I don't have any money whatsoever. And so, you know, what I want to do today is for those of you who God has already spoken to about school, but like Greg was sharing yesterday, your finances are a big hindrance for you. But if you know that God has spoken to you about coming here and yet finances, you don't have the money even for a half price registration. I want you to humble yourself. I'm, I'm asking for this. And if you don't stand, you're prideful. Amen. You're resisting what I feel God told me to do. So if you believe God wants you to come here, but you just honestly don't have the money, you need help. I want you to stand right now, wherever you are. And uh, here's what I would like to do. Instead of us just taking an offering or something, I want people to look around 
at these people that are standing. And the way we're going to receive our offering, I just want you to bless one of these and help them to do what God's called them to do. I'm not going to take an offering. We aren't going to do it right now, but you just look around and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And I believe that God is going to speak to people. And, you know, I think, are we doing half price registration? Is that right? So it's $50. You know, $50 could get all of these people registered and putting, you know, we call it putting motion to your boat. If you register and just move in this direction, that's when you start seeing the supernatural power of God. It's like a plane. It, a plane has all of these aerodynamic capabilities, but if it's sitting still, it won't fly. It's got to start moving for those things to work. And if you would just follow through and go ahead and register today when they present this opportunity to you, I believe that as you do that, you would start seeing the supernatural power of God start intervening and things would work. So I want those of you who are seated and the way we're going to receive an offering today, you just pray about it. And if God speaks to you, you go up and just bless these people. And if they get more than $50, awesome. Amen. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.